This time on Sonic Earth Expeditions. A sonic explorer on the path of consciousness. Hello, fellow listeners, and welcome. I'm your host, Mary Beth Tool. Sylvia Nakash is a Grammy-nominated composer, cutting-edge musical artist, and vocal guide. She's the founder and artistic director of the International Vox Mundi School of Sound and the Voice, dedicated to preserving sacred musical traditions and the vocal arts. Her training is cross-cultural and includes Western classical music, avant-garde electronic music and composition, and clinical psychology. She studied Hindustani classical music and raga singing with the late Ali Akbar Khan for more than 30 years. As an educator, Sylvia is a pioneer in the field of sound and consciousness transformation. She created the Yoga of the Voice curriculum training, which is taught worldwide. She's currently a visiting artist at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music and is on the faculty and also an academic consultant at the Open Center's Integrative Sound and Music Institute in New York City. As a vocal guide, she wrote the book, Free Your Voice, which presents the voice as an instrument of personal transformation. When it comes to sonic environments, Sylvia takes listening to a whole other dimension. When I was very young, uh, my, my century was to listen to birds and talk to them. So that was my secret. And that was my first experience of listening when I was, for example, in a vacation when I was not in the city. But then I then then the birds were my friends, like Sir Francis. <laughs> you know, I talked to them. I talked to them when I went back to bed when I was four, five, I don't know, four, five, six, ten years old. They were my 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 pantheon, my god and goddesses. And I had different sounds uh, of birds that I will um, respond to them. So I believe that the birds were part of my life and that I, I, I had a conversation with them and it was the way that my sacred life started. But I didn't know that, as we say in psychology, until I grew up and I realized that that was the beginning of my believing in sacredness, presence, you know, in sacredness and presence. So the birds were the first uh, 
connection with the difference between hearing and listening. And then I slowly I moved to Brazil when I was already on my own. I started knowing about the world very early in my life because my parents were also travelers. Mm. So, so I was always traveling that I remember and listening to different sounds of different cultures and different languages. Mm -hmm. My father would speak uh, 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 Lebanese, kind of Arab, and very French. Um, then I grew up in Spanish, and then I moved to Brazil for three, four months a year. I started learning Portuguese in the streets. I fell in love with Portuguese songs and, la and musicians. So, and then um, some people that we visit my home were speaking Italian. I went to Italy. Uh, I, I've been in the schools in Europe that they speak with an accent. So I have an accent in every language I speak. Do you have a native language? What would you consider your, the, your native language? That's my problem. I don't have a native language now. Because um, supposed to be a Spanish, but my father never spoke Spanish very well. My mother, my mother, yes, and my sisters, okay, but the tendency was to go into French mm. uh, because they were kind of French Lebanese. So um, I heard. I think Spanish could be my first language, but actually, I put all my attention to listen in Portuguese. Mm. And now I've been speaking English for 40 years. Yeah. So, and I have a strong accent. And I didn't want to go to accent schools. There are schools that try to take your accent. But <laughs> yeah. I thought I was a waste of time. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with an accent. So how did your how did your exposure to the music specifically in Brazil? How did that influence you? Brazil influenced everything I listened. Um, there is first the language has a, a quality that in Indian music we call romantic, shringar. It has a very romantic wave of sonic narration. So the the sound of the, the of Portuguese, especially song, we call it palabra cantada. Um, it has it has a flow, almost like liquid. And, and Spanish is more fire language. It's more, I talk like this, you know. It's like it has that kind of layer or, or speed or tempo. But the Portuguese language has inspired me so much. It, it, it connected with my uh, way of listening to the world, more liquid, more slow, more romantic. So I, I kind of try to uh, understand the language and sp speak the language and read the language. And then the music came to be through the, I learned the, I learned Portuguese by the songs of Caetano Veloso and Egberto Gismonti and Gilberto Gil, and Maria Betania. I will, I will try to get that kind of 
tone. And for mm-hmm. me, is what now we call in what I teach and I develop, tone magic. There is a magic in tone that, that uh, gets you the hunter, the element of wanting more and seeing at night and getting, you know, I, you become an explorer, you know. And uh, that's, that's the point. Port- Portuguese language softens my heart. It lightens my heart. When, the, when I talk to my, my family and my friends in Portuguese or when I listen to uh, beautiful kind of sound, you know, sounds or songs. Or, uh, it's a language that I listen more than hearing. Mm. Oh, that's beautifully said. It's beautifully said. There's so much richness in that culture and that language. And I hear some of that in, well, a lot of that in the track that you sent, Amazonia. nice time of my life you know after covid now we appreciate more everything that happened before right (laughs) (laughs) so true so we are in 2021 and uh and we all experienced a change of listening culture after 2020 the resiliency of listening um, that time was uh, divine. Um, that was when I immersed myself almost shamanically uh, in the vertical dimension of sacredness and nature. So what happened is I went to the Amazon many times and I fell in love of the people that loved me there. The indigenous people um, were like like family for me. They became my energetic family. So I start going there as often as possible inside the Amazon. And I went there to listen. I would sit, thanks to my, my first listening uh, teacher, divine mentor, uh, Pauline Oliveros, with, uh, you know, was my greatest influence in music from the beginning. So I knew how to sit and listen without any uh, doing anything else but being there. And I listen, and I don't have to talk when I listen because my whole I am directing my attention to the in, the interconnectedness of multi-diversity of sounds in nature in the Amazon. So in the Amazon, I discover the power of silence, just listening. And I fell in love of that. 
So I, w I keep going there, and I needed a project. You know how we are in the West. We need a project. <laughs> <laughs> That's your Western classical musical training <laughs> yes, coming through, right? Yes, it's my hysteria, right? Um, mm -hmm. In one side, I am a super incredibly, I, went to, I live in uh, universities all my life, from schools to universities, and I teach in universities. So one side is the studios. And, and, and wants to know everything, epistemology. And the other side is very shamanic, very devout, very baul, very, very uh, bhakti. You know, that uh, that is like the child that listens to the person, very magic, believe in the, in the, in the power of magic and fantasy. So I, I live in this, all my life in this, uh, uh, I would say, uh, feed, feedback loop between knowing, wanting to know, and don't wanting to know, just wanting to listen and find the sacredness in everything. And I was there at the, in the Amazon, and the project was to make an opera. Wow. So I have to write an opera, make an opera, and, and start researching. This will take our whole podcast. So basically... <laughs> What I want to say is I make friends with uh, the, the Sana Indians and the Yanomani Indians, depending where you are in the Amazon, which is almost as big as United States, okay? When you are in the Amazon, you just to have a sense, on a plane, when you cross the Amazon, east-west is four hours. Mm, wow. You understand? It's a four-hour trip. A little bit more from the east to the west is all nature. Wow. And there is places where mankind never, never could visit. So I was there with friends, and I was working with uh, the uh, Alliance, the Rainforest Alliance, <clears throat> You know, a group of a group of people uh, from the, the indigenous people that um, were trying to bring some money to the to these populations of uh, villages. Uh, they, they we will helping them to sell their soaps and their incredible um, products. So anyway, it was all connected, and I will go there and listen. And I have my uh, Ag uh, Nagra and my. That machines, <laughs> it was the 90s. We had that machines and Nagras, and and I was recording everything. So then I needed a, a theme, and one of the Yanomanis gave me a book written by children from the Amazon called "In the Beginning, the World Did Not Exist," and that was the topic of my opera. So I recorded, I got all the information from the museums, the indigenous museums in, in Brazil, in Rio and Bahia, where I used to stay, Bahia, the north. And I wrote an opera, and the opera was all about what, when, this, when, when, when everything starts, the space. The beginning when the sun uh, and the moon uh, start fighting with each other, and then the fire came, and the moon got uh, under the ocean, the, the river, and then the river became anaconda, and anaconda saved the world. And that's from this book? 
that from this book. And then when you see the Amazon River from the on an airplane that they sometimes the little airplanes they are very very low, you see a snake. So then I I I listen. I will go there, have a hammock, and listen and listen and guess what? One day, very early, because you wake up very early with the light. And the Amazon is always, it's interesting, there's no sun in the Amazon. Because the, 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 the greenery covers the sound, the sun. It's only sound or no sound, but you don't, it's kind of, kind of cloudy. And there is a breath of, 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 of vapor or, or, or the air of the plant. Because it's so density of air, of prana, prana, life force. So I am there in the morning, and this is the beginning of all my 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 magic in, in tone magic um, journey. I am listening to something that I can't figure out what it is. It was 5 a.m., 4 a.m. The sun, the light start coming through the trees, but you don't see the sun. And I hear this. And I fell asleep again. And the next day, I wanted to hear that sound again. And then I ask my guides, and they say, oh, yeah. They go, is that an animal? I said, no, that's the breath of the plants. Oh, my God. There's so much silence that you can hear the prana of the, the life force of the plants. And that, and I fell in love. I fell in love of that, and I will just go, wanted to, to be there to hear that. This is all a part of my life from 91, I would say, to 97, uh, that I was just completely immersed with the Amazon. I wanted to every year go to the Amazon and listen. Amazon is part of my life, but because I open my ears to deep listening, to the breath, to the sounds, the tone magic, the sounds that are there, but you really need to have almost like a dream way of listening. You know, that's so interesting because when I think of you, I think of your your training in Hindustani music, and so it's so interesting to hear how much you feel influenced by the work that you did in the Amazon. 
it might be a good time to talk about some of the other cultures that you studied um, in your vast musical inquiry, right? I mean, you have really gone out there and, and searched. I think at first I like, I like to say that thanks to uh, my family that they were very... Um, I'd say my family never say no to anything when I needed to travel. So my family allowed me to become a listening uh, traveler, and then um, and then my my secret uh, sanctuary was always nature. Uh, traveling for me was an excuse to listen to nature because I live in the cities. So I would travel, I listen to nature, and then in Brazil uh, in the 80s, very early 80s, um, and I was very young, by the way, um, I became friends with amazing musicians. I mean, in in a way, they are they were shamanic musicians, like Egberto Gismonti, which also find, found a lot of, of in, in inspiration from the Amazon in an album that changed the world of music. Sol Domeo Gia, the son of, of, uh, of Noon. Anyway, that album changed, the, changed my life, changed his life, changed the life of a lot of musicians. I, all my life I was a musician. All my life I was a composer. So I always had to play something. And of course, uh, in the conservatories, and I learned how to play the piano and the guitar. I am a trained musician. So what happened is that one time in, in living with these amazing musicians and being very close to amazing musicians in Brazil, um, I, someone played me a, a, a cassette of uh, the Dagar brothers playing Bhairabi. And I start. It was a friend that I still have. This friend is my. It's a photographer that lives now in LA. He's uh, he's from Brazil and Argentina, like me. And he just he says, Sylvia, I think because you like Gismonti and you like all this music and you've been so close to this, you should listen to that. And he gave me a cassette of the Dagar Brothers, and that changed all the landscape of my listening slow down to a place of breath again the breath of the plants because they were playing this melodic phrase phrasing called phraseology in raga music and they were playing it with the sense of cosmic time infinite time they were it was a, it was a lap meaning no rhythm yet. And then I say, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I mean, this is someone that, that, that was ready to uh, do both, you know, write operas, uh, keep writing music. I love to, to hear my music played by other people. And then I wanted to see how my voice can produce that sense of duration go beyond time timelessness 
the dimension again the the vertical dimension of searching for no time in music that's what i found in the raga and every time you play the same melody it's completely different because you expand the listening of time in raga music there is a it's a concept layer it's written l a y a but it's pronounced at least in my my present teachers layer and the layer which the simple way to understand is tempo or rubato is 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 when you play with time as part of the composition is the the rest in the in the philosophy which is the same in india philosophy aesthetic and music comes together in that level of listening you are listening to the silence in between every breath of tone you are listening to the breath to the length of the breath Working, uh, I'd landed in New York in Woodstock, and uh, I, Paulina Riveros, found me. I found her, but she, I was lost in a school that was closed, and she took me as her apprentice, you know, forever. So, and then I couldn't find a place to live in New York that was comfortable, and Colin Walcott from the group Oregon, that were my friends, say. You need to lead, you need to study with Ali Akbar Khan. Your voice, uh, it's very Middle Eastern. Your voice is very Indian. Maybe you go to California and study with Ali Akbar Khan. So I came to California. I started working with a legendary master of the science of consciousness, um, an extraordinary musician, Claudio Naranjo. And Claudio said, was very close friend of Ali Akbar Khan. Uh, he was he knew him very well, and uh, and say of course you have to study with Ali Akbar Khan. And I landed there and Kansab Ali Akbar Khan, which I called him Baba. Uh, as you know, I started working for him directly in his home and the school and became my home. So I started. I studied raga with Ali Akbar Khan until his last breath, in 2009, and started in 1982. So everything together, because then I went to Mills College, I started writing the operas, and Ali Akbar Khan would say to me, "Kansa, you have two husbands in the same house." because I was listening and writing Western electronic music and orchestra music, and I was 
every day at the Ali Akbar Khan school studying, you know, the 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 ragas, the, the that music that colors your mind with emotions and and it's always new. What are some of the differences that you found studying Western classical music and studying um, with Ali Akbar Khan? I like that you are asking uh, because you're such a virtuoso listener yourself, and I bow to you in that level. <laughs> I'm a student of listening, always. And I am, uh, I, I, I am an explorer <laughs> of uh, listening as a way of... Uh, as a way of living in consciousness, listening to space. Uh, last year, that we have so much time for creative inquiry and personal inquiry, being home the whole time. I usually travel seven months a year, but I was home. What I, what I discovered is that I am an integrator. I, I am a bridge maker. So uh, the, 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 what, I, what I think that I am integrated, I, as, as a treasure finder, as my friends call me. Western music is giving you the, 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 the treasure. You find the treasure of vocabulary, lexicon. Uh, understanding the potential of technology and technique. Uh, ways, modalities. And it giving you this this kind of uh, uh, curriculum, this systematic approach. And Indian music um, has this it, it's yoga, so it's a systematic approach. But the the way of approaching time is different because you uh, in Indian music mostly is the is the uh, the kingdom of melody and a drone is modal music so you have a drone that doesn't change and then the melody becomes the different degrees and scales of possibilities of melody is the art of melody like the ocean waves you imagine you're in an ocean that is a drone when it's quiet you know, it's a drone, and then imagine all the possibilities of movement of waves in an ocean. So the melodies are, can be short, can be long, can be nothing, can be listening, but every time that you um, render, is the word that we use in Indian music uh, translated in English, every time we render the raga melody, feels like it's new because 
is playing with new ways of layer, new ways of time, tempo. So in raga music, you are always on the spot. And you compose uh, a lapse, which are, you know, phrases, but every time that you are going to be performing them are, are going to be a little bit different. And then when, then yes, you compose a, a, like a song or a composition. Uh, it, it's, it's called differently in different garanas or uh, schools of music and different uh, traditions of Indian classical music, which are many, they're called garanas. But the point is that um, these uh, bandish or compositions, uh, th those are fixed. But the rest is what I love to refer as the delicate balance between organization and fantasy. So Indian music has uh, a lot of that, that balancing between organization and fantasy, and Western music has the same, especially great composers. But the point is that Western music needed to be written down. It's part of the, the, the way of listening. And it's great because then the, the, the orchestras can perform. And Indian music is officially and seriously oral tradition. It's almost, it's almost seen, I would say, wrong. <laughs> it's not good to write it. So that those are the big differences, I hope. But, but they, they help each other. Like, I think, you know, I work with all kind of musicians levels. I work with symfo symphony musicians, you know, very, very, very trained, and I work with people that does, they don't know where the the C is on the on on the piano, or never, never even thought about a scale. And I don't care because actually, I I want I like to be. I like to offer the stage for my students to start listening, listening what how they listen. So one of the practices is, is, uh, is the listening diet. I, uh, the students that are training with me, uh, especially those that never went to music schools, like the shamans, <laughs> which they listen to nature and, and, they, and they, ask, they ask the plants to give them information to heal, right? So the shamans live in that vertical dimension, that, that, that every, everything is a sacred presence. There are no difference between the spiritual and, and, and the non-spiritual, the materiality and the spirituality. So everything is part of the cosmic reality. So I believe in that sense of possibility because the, the highest level of composition in Western music it's almost like cosmic, you know, it's, 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 it's the greatest composers like Beethoven and Mahler and, uh, I don't know, uh, for me, uh, Messian, Oliver Messian, you know, Shostakovich, uh, they're all, they're all inter 
in a way as open as nature. They're interconnecting sounds and, and notes and chords and colors. So I think the most fluent the Western composers, the closest they get to Indian classical music. I think I never said that before. So, so you're teaching this, this deep listening right now with your students. So listening creates who we are, who we want to be with. Listening is a way that we direct our attention to become who we are. Mm -hmm. So listening depends on making a decision, what we want to hear. And that kind of frame us, give, give us all the different ways and modalities of, of environments that we decide that we want to be in. If I want to be in nature, and this is the part that I think is the future, the future meaning how we can benefit through deep listening, quantum listening, listening to everything without any judgment. <clears throat> See, that's quantum listening, being able to listen in like we are listening now. I listen to everything and I have no sense of judgment. My consciousness is completely open. I become a seer. I listen with my eyes. I listen with my heart. I can listen with my hands. That's the way we listen in classical Indian music. So that's the power of listening over the possibility of hearing. Thanks God we can hear with our ears. So we through hearing, for hearing, I, I am physical. Hearing is about, oh, I call it in my book, uh, Free Your Voice. Outer sound is the sound I hear physically. I hear with my ears and my body and my skin and my bones, right? We are bone conductors, people. Their bone con bone conduction uh, and and neuro conduction and neuro you know the neurology of how we listen that's the outer then we have the inner sound the inner listening which is the way we vibrate but then this is the piece that we need to bring into the future and I get really passionate about it. Outer, physical, body. Inner, vibrational, feeling. Sacred sound. That sound that I perceive when I listen. That sound that is different from, from you and me. What makes people different from each other. Because if I play a sound in a group, as you know, Everybody's listening differently. It's a mystery sound. We call it sacred sound. And that's the sound that makes who we are. The sound, I would say, that we perceive in our mind and, and it arises as a result of a state of consciousness. 
an attentional state, the way I am attending. It could become a trance, you know, like in possessions, in Brazil, in Brazilian music, that is the most powerful thing that happened to, my, to me when I grew up, attending these candomblé ceremonies with trance. There's magic in how we listen, especially in possessions and trance. Mm -hmm. If you go to India uh, and, and go to uh, healing ceremonies, they're based on, on, on that, on possession and trance. And what is when we call trance is a way of listening. It's a way of driving our attention to this particular space, but there's no self. And someone else is visiting your consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, that... all about listening. That's a very good description of trance, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the book, Free Your Voice, because that book, I think it's been a huge help to a lot of singers, myself included, in, in offering another way to think about the voice that takes all the, you know, sort of baggage out of it. What, what inspired you to write that book, and how did you go about that? Well, uh, actually, um, that book, I, I, because I realized that what I learned sometimes in the, in the conservatories about singing was not, uh, was not good for singing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so they talk about, they talk about breast support as the cause and actually it's a result. Mm. They talk about tension, and it's about a particular kind of tension that you can regulate by listening. They don't know anything about layer, which is the duration of a sound related with how you relax your body. So I had a lot of experience with Indian classical music as a vocalist that were very juicy, juicy, uh, almost like sexy, almost like sassy, almost like liberating for uh, vocalists of the Western world. If we frame this and say, it's all about listening. It's really not about singing. I didn't want even to call my book Free Your Voice or Singing because as much as I grew up as a human that listens, as much my humanity my consciousness expands in listening and I become more and more and more a deep listener, I realized that singing is an, it's an, impose, it's an imposing idea. We are just using the voice as an energy to, to, to connect with something beyond that, the voice. So I have a lot to say. So I needed to write a book. I have a student of mine uh, that, you know, helped me. That she, she, that's why she's on the book, uh, Valerie Carpenter. She changed her last name now. And Valerie, um, Valerie was after me with a microphone the whole time. And then she will knock at the door and of my, my studio, and she said, we need to write. And then um, sounds true, say, we need the voice of the teacher, we need to make a book. And anyway, sounds true offer to, make, to, to publish the book and give us a deadline. 
and I have so much to say. And I wanted to write a book as of, of not as a training book. I wanted to I wanted to go really cosmic consciousness, shamanic beyondness dimension. But uh, the publisher wanted me to make it very accessible, mainstream, and for everybody. Mm. So that was the only big effort that became a delicate balance, delicate balance between poetry, the materiality of the voice, singing and sound, and the possibilities of going beyond. <laughs> I, see, you see the last the last page of my book that I begged the publisher to add because the book was already finished. is called "Back to the Forest," mm. and I say something like, "Forget about everything I say in this book. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the forest silently and listen to the interconnectedness of the breath of life." Well, you know, I do think that is your superpower as a teacher, the way that you the way that you call in all these cosmic awareness and and sacred ideas into singing, but you do have a a way that makes it accessible to your students. And so I I really do think that that's your superpower. When you say go back to the forest, you sent this lovely track called The Sound Forest. What can you tell me about that piece? Ah. One part of me, maybe the, the I'd say that this more academic, this more conceptual, this more very intellectual, deep research. I always die for treasures. That part of my 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 myself would like to just start writing again contemporary music, new music. I'm 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 I need to listen to music that has sometimes no rhythm, no melody, and it's just sound. So that was that was that was it. That was when I was in that time of my life where where I was free. My imagination, like your imagination, like it's always free, right? It's the only thing that we can keep free. And the imagination works with listening. So I was just listening to the, the beauty, the interaction between electronic sound, made sounds, convey sounds, electronic and electronically synthesized sounds, and nature. So what you hear are the, the flutes from the Amazon, the two, two, meet, the two meters flutes from the Amazon, mm -hmm. and the electronic sounds. A lot, of, a lot of instruments that we made 
made of wood and bamboo, and then the electronic sounds were the environment. Mm. I create an acoustic environment and an electronic environment, and I integrate both because now, after a year of listening to myself <laughs> last year, I realize I'm an integrator. That's where I am. Mm. Mm. It's like I, I never been concerned about belonging to just one culture. I understand when people say, oh, I need to find my roots. Yeah, that's great, but but you might change. You know? <laughs> Most you likely change. will change. <laughs> yeah. I think I think when people say that to me, uh, my my colleagues, my the musicians I work, the whoever, students, teachers, I say, well, you might want to find your silence. Mm. You know, the, the, art, the architecture of your silence, when you can be, what are you listening when you are not listening? Where, where, what are you hearing when you are listening? And those amazing inquiries that opens my brain and make me feel that I will be more resilient to anything that is happening. So... Marybeth, I think deep listening as a way of living our life can give us a lot of resilience. And that is in the edge, in the edge, in the in the core of healing. Mm. It's so not about it's not about healing music, it's not about healing, healing. It's really about how you allow the layer of silence, the, the tempo of silence, and, and then this little click. I told you I live in a place that silence, I hear that, I hear my, my, my heartbeat when I go to bed. It's very weird. <laughs> it must be quiet. I'm in New York City. It's, I can't hear I my heartbeat. I'm telling you right now. I hear my heartbeat the moment I turn everything off and I disconnect the internet, I hear my heartbeat mm. and all the liquids of my body and sometimes th that are my my drone wow that's nice a drone you can take with you wherever you go and you know the first thing that at Paulina Oliveros uh we will go uh, travel together and in the two different tents go to the forest here and there all over the country and then we will be listening and the mm. next day we will share our sound Journal, journal, journals. We we were journaly. We had a, a a book called the Sound Journal, which I highly recommend to our listeners. And then we would write what we were listening because we were not talking. And then we will share where the the way that we listened to the same because we were in the same place. And what she told me one time, I never forgot. She said, Sylvia. What is the difference between being quiet and being silent? And all these are pointers. And in Indian music, 
is is the breath of in between each each melodic narration in the raga in each melodic phrase that creates the beauty it's not just one phrase after the other one it's not the lineality every phrase can have a different length of time when in western music and less new music you have to have this kind of you know what i my my, my teacher ali akbar khan uh concept we'll call it the jail of music <laughs> Please don't put wow. the music in the jail, he would say. Oh, when he gosh. would listen, he said, hey, don't put the music in the jail. And actually, oh. Egberto Shismonti had the same point of view when when I was talking to him. He's, he had a kind of a similar idea of the rhythm making it, you know, extending, like consciousness. You know, I wanted to ask you about the other piece that you sent with its distinctive water element. That brings us back to uh, Brazil. It's called Oshum. Oshum. It's O-S-H-U-M. And is the uh, Oshum is one of the messengers, the Orishas of the uh, um, Yoruba tradition in uh, Bahia, where I part grow up, uh, grew up in Bahia. Oshum uh, is uh, very, 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 very popular, and we say here that Oshum here lives all over the Bay Area because she lives where there is water. So she is the uh, her sound is connected with the movement of the flow of a river. And her qualities is the quality of spiritual elegance and offering, giving, nurturing, unconditional nurturing. So it's an Orishas are messengers of destiny, of uh, of what what's happening in your what is your suchness, who you are, and they're part of an oracle, a practice, ifa in the Yoruba tradition. And when I, I, I made music for many of the Orishas, I asked for permission. And because my intention as my school, Vox Mundi project, which I had it since 1988. So my school is the school of sacred vocal arts with the intention of preservation, education for preservation, performance for preservation. We want to expand the beauty, integrate the beauty of the traditions, not by fusion, because fusion is confusion, <laughs> according <laughs> to Ali Akbar Khan. No, it's not by fusion. It's by listening to the qualities of invocation, for example, in the Yoruba tradition. 
and having that deity quality within your sacred sound, your, your suchness. So Oshum is, is the quality of flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shorodo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shorodo. And and it's you you sing your movement your layer your tempo is is the same like like the like the river you become the river, but it has to have that spiritual elegance of gentleness. Okay, so I did I did songs uh, I composed uh, this one is with. Um, uh, the uh, beautiful piano, right? Uh, the producer, yes. yeah. the producer it was the most incredible musician uh, in the world. He is Pete uh, Walk Walkman, and he is a st he's in South America now. He married someone in South America and moved out of the country. Uh, we are here in California. You're in New York. We are in the we are East West here. I love it. <laughs> Right. But you are one of the few people that I met that that had that what we have in common, if you allow me to ask to bring the inquiry here, is you you wanted to do drones, remember? Yes, yeah. And you for start my doing, open center project. Yes, and you start doing drones everywhere. <laughs> I am very open with my when I give my students um instructions to do projects. I give them the project, okay, make a drone or make a, a medicine melody, but I don't want to give too many instructions because I always been very allergic to now we do that and now you do because I want the imagination to be naturally free because that's where we are born with, with a natural, fantasi fantastic imagination. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, and I say, make a project. And you say, you start with drones forever. Can you tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, we were working with the drone, the Shruti box with, uh, you know, the vocal studies. And I think it was something that you had said, and I think it's in Free Your Voice, too, that anything can be a drone. And it got me thinking, you know, it really inspired me that, okay. And so, and I love nature you know i i consider myself an environmentalist and i and i uh, i love the sound of bugs and i love the sound of birds and water and all of it you know and i and so i went looking for sounds in nature that i could alter electronically because i i like to work in electronic music also and it just developed from there to make drones that would have something inside them, like buried inside that drone is something organic. I am a drone addict. <laughs> I love drones. I, yeah, oh my God, I, yeah, I love yeah. drones. And you know, the whole, the whole, I, of course, my academic side now, uh, you know, all the music of the world, in the 1100s and 1200s, pre-Baroque, they were all the music from the East and the West. Listen to this, this is so interesting. 
they we were all having the same musical architecture, drone and melody. Mm. Hildegard von Bingen and, yes, and, yes. and and all that were in the in the in the Indian classical music too. In the they start uh, they they went out from the Vedic tradition. And then they mm -hmm. went in when the music went into the courts of the of the Maharashis, they start playing the instruments with drones and they did the melody on the top. You know, 1400, 1300. So it, the, all the, the, the actually what we call the music that is being recorded or stay with us, it's it's in the beginning was a drone. And I see why drones are so liberating. You could do anything with a drone. You can drum with it, sing with it, just listen to the drone, you know, have the drone playing and hear nature sounds around you. And it, drones are where it's at. <laughs> it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful just to do a podcast to bring more this into uh, everywhere. I mean, everywhere, especially a lot of people that now wants to make music but they don't go to school to learn music so the drone is very accessible especially the shruti box right because it's like mm. a toy of yeah. course i play those big tamburas and all the other instruments but but the shruti box oh my god i can sing right? it helps it helps the voice it really does help the voice well, I discovered them in 1982, and now that I've been organizing my studio, my big one, I have a whole, a whole closet of different shruti boxes. Oh my God. I have a museum of shruti boxes. <laughs> and I told my helper, don't touch that. They're oh, like wow. a museum. Very soon will be a museum piece. Of course, you know, uh, Anyway, classical music of India will not accept it because they were just made for listen, the flute players to play with the with the with the um, the bansuri players to play with their feet mm. when they were playing alone. They were not for singers. I wanted to say yes. Drones need to come back to music in it would revisit it with a more studiousness, more more integral, more more ecological, more cosmic, uh, more uh, uh, vertical dimension of listening. Because the drones can be the throne, the throne for so much more music. What do you think people should do to become better listeners? What tips do you have? Well, I think uh, uh, there are so many exercises that I've been writing. There's, some of them are in my books, like, like Free Your Voice at the very end. I say 108 exercises of how to listen. Um, and given just a tiny instruction, for example, the best instructions of is to revitalize, 
to uh, reinvent, to refresh and reframe our way of listening to the world. And um, and listen a little bit like a shaman, like listening by re- to obtain information from another dimensions. That's I call that musical divination. Me- listening openly to obtain information from unseen dimensions, like plants, the ocean, the deities. Uh, the teapot, the water, <laughs> the candles, the the microphones, so everything, as you say. But, for example, one instruction that I can say is close your eyes or soften your eyes, whatever is more comfortable. Find a place where you can sit vertically with no distractions, no multitasking, nothing, but stay in a vertical dimension of your body and your mind. Connect with breath. We always start by connecting with the sound of breath. And imagine that your breath is infinite as it is. And start enjoying the sound of your breath as music. Any sound that your breath wants to make audible from any part of your body, enjoy the sound that give us life, the sound of your breath. That can be one listening uh, exercise. And I have a bunch of exercises, a lot of exercises. They're all coming from this idea of understanding, feeling, the secret quality, the secret degrees, a scale of attentional capacities between hearing and listening. Deep listening can be a glorious, victorious, jaya jaya practice to accept everything that is surrounding us, the acceptance of everything without judgment can be the the future of compassion, the future of loving everything and being selective, you know, of things that are not good for you or for others. So deep listening of the medicine of the future.
thank you to my guest, Sylvia Nakash, for sharing her exquisite music and her stories about how listening and the voice can become our allies in personal transformation. If you want to learn more about her work, you can head over to her website at voxmundiproject.com. You can find her music there too. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm Mary Beth Toole, and you've been listening to Sonic Earth Expeditions. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the podcast. It really helps. If you'd like to more directly support my work in amplifying the art of listening, you can head to my Bandcamp page where you can buy my tracks. That's cosmicpiano.bandcamp.com. I'll include the drones I played on this podcast. One of them hasn't been released anywhere else. I made it from the sound of hippos bathing in a river in Kenya. Until next time, thank you. And remember, better living through listening. Happy trails.